Gold in the Sky, Part Seven of Five Stories by Alan Norse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Tom knew now that it was the right thing to do. There was no question. After the major story of what Dad had been doing out in the belt at the time he had been killed, he had been doing a job that was more important to him than asteroid mining. But he had found something more important than his own life, and had no chance to send word of what he had found back to Major Briarton on Mars. That had been the unforeseeable part of the trap. But now, of course, the Major had to know. The Mars coordinator looked at the thing on the desk for a long moment before he reached out to touch it. The bright metal gleamed in the light, pale gray, lustrous. The Major picked it up, balanced it expertly in his hand and a puzzled frown clouded his face. He examined it minutely. "'What is this thing?' he said. "'Suppose you tell us,' Johnny Coombs said from across the room. "'Looks like a gun.' "'That's what it is, all right. You fired it?' "'Yes, but I wouldn't fire it in here if I were you,' Johnny said. "'You were wondering how we wrecked Tawny's orbit ship so thoroughly. That's your answer right there.' He told about the hole in the bulkhead, the way the ship's generators had melted like clay under the powerful blast of the weapon. The Major could hardly control his excitement. "'Where did you get it?' he asked, turning to Tom. "'From the space pack that you turned over to us. I didn't even look at it until we needed a gun in a hurry. I just assumed it was Dad's revolver.' "'And your father found it somewhere in the belt,' the Major said softly. He looked at the weapon again, shaking his head. "'There isn't any such gun,' he said finally. "'These things you say it could do, they would require energy enough to break down the cohesive forces of molecules. There isn't any way we know of to harness that kind of energy and channel it in a hand weapon. Nobody on Earth.' He broke off and stared at them. "'That's right,' Johnny said. "'Nobody on Earth.' "'You mean extraterrestrial?' "'There isn't any other answer.' Johnny said. Look at the thing, Major. Feel it. Does it feel like it was made for a human hand? It doesn't fit. It doesn't balance. You have to hold it with both hands to aim it. Where did it come from? The Major said. We've never had visitors from another star system, not in the course of recorded history. And we know that Earthmen are the only intelligent creatures in our solar system. You mean that they're the only ones now? Tom said. Or any other time? We don't know that for sure, Tom said. Look, we've explored Venus, Mars, all the major satellites. If there had been any intelligence on any of them, we'd have known it. Maybe there was a planet that Earthmen haven't explored, Tom said. Even Dad tried to tell us that, the quotation from Kepler that he scribbled down in his log. Between Jupiter and Mars, I will put a planet. Why would Dad have written that, unless he had suddenly discovered proof that there had been a planet there? You mean this gun, the Major said, and whatever else he found. But there's never been any proof of that theory, not even a hint of proof. Maybe Dad found proof. There are hundreds of thousands of asteroid fragments out there in the belt, and only a few hundred of them have ever been examined by men. On the desk the strange weapon stared up at them. Evidence, mute evidence, and yet its very existence said more than a thousand words. It was there, it could not be denied. And someone, or something, had made it. Slowly the Major pulled himself to his feet. It must have happened after his last message to me, he said. It wasn't part of the scheme we had set up. 
but he made a strike just the same, an archaeological strike, and this gun was part of it. He picked up the weapon, turned it over in his hand. But it was days after that last message before his signal went off and the patrol ship moved in. It makes sense, Johnny Coombs said. He found the gun and something more. Like what? I wouldn't even guess, Johnny said. A planet with a race of creatures intelligent enough and advanced enough to make a weapon like that. It could have been anything, but whatever it was, it must have scared him. He must have known that a company ship might turn up at any minute. So he hid whatever he had found, and all he dared to leave was a hint. And now it's vanished, the Major said. The big flaw in the whole idea. My patrol ship found nothing when it searched the region. You looked and drew a blank. The company men scoured the area. He spread his hands helplessly. You see, it just won't hold up, not a bit of it. Even with this gun it won't hold up. We've got to find the answer. It's out there somewhere, Tom said doggedly. It's got to be. But where? Don't you see that everything hangs on that one thing? If we could prove that your father found something just before he was killed, we could tear Jupiter Equilateral's case against you into shreds. We could charge them with piracy and murder and make it stick. We could break their power for once and for all. But until we know what Roger Hunter found, we're helpless. They'll take you three to court, and I won't be able to stop them. And if you lose that case, it may mean the end of the UN authority on Mars. Then there's just one thing to do, Johnny Coombs said. We've got to find Roger Hunt's bonanza. It was almost midnight when they left the Major's office, a gloomy trio walking silently up the ramp to the main concourse heading toward the living quarters. They had been talking with the Major for hours, going over every facet of the story, racking their brains for the answer. But the answer had not come. Roger Hunter had found something and hidden it so well that three groups of searchers had failed to discover it. After seeing the gun, the Major was convinced that there had indeed been a discovery made. But whatever that discovery had been, it was gone as if it had never existed, as if, by some sort of magic, it had been turned invisible or conjured away to another part of the solar system. Finally, they had given up, at least for the moment. It has to be there, the Major said warily. It hasn't vanished or miraculously ceased to exist. We know he was working on one claim, one asteroid. There were no other asteroids in the region and even the ones within suicide radius have been searched. It's there, all right, Tom said. We're missing something, that's all. But what? Asteroids have stable orbits. Nobody can just make one disappear. They had called it a night, finally. Once home, they found more bad news waiting. There were two messages on the recordomat. The first was an official summons to appear before the United Nations Board of Investigations at nine the following morning to answer certain charges placed against the above-named persons by the governing board of Jupiter Equilateral Mining Industries, and by one Merrill Tawney, plaintiff, representing said governing board. They listened to the plastic record twice. Greg tossed it down the waste chute. The other message was addressed to Greg from the commanding officer of Project Star Jump. The message was very polite and regretful. It was also very firm. The pressure of the work there, in his absence, made it necessary for the project to suspend Greg on indefinite leave of absence. Application for reinstatement could be made at a later date, but acceptance could not be granted. Well, I might have expected it, Greg said. 
after what the major told us the money for star jump must have been coming from somewhere and now we know where the company probably figures to lay claim on any star drive that's ever developed he dropped the notice down the chute and laughed well i guess i really asked for it you mean i pushed you into it tom said bitterly if i'd kept my big mouth shut at the very start of this thing you'd have gone back to the project and that would have been the end of it you big bum do you think i really care he grinned don't feel too guilty twin we've been back to back on this one he pulled off his shirt and walked into the shower room johnny coombs was already stretched out on the sofa snoring softly quite suddenly the room seemed hot and stuffy oppressive he couldn't make his thoughts come straight there had been too much thinking too much speculation tom stood up and slipped on his jacket he had to walk to move about to try and think he slipped open the door and started for the ramp leading to the main concourse there was an answer somewhere he walked along the steel walkways trying to clear his mind of the doubts and questions that were plaguing him at first he just wandered but presently he realized that he had a destination in mind he went up a ramp and across the lobby of the united nations administration building he took a spur off the main corridor and came to a doorway with a small circular staircase beyond it at the bottom of the stairs he opened a steel door and stepped into the map room there was a small darkened amphitheater with a curving row of seats along one wall on either side were film viewers and micro readers and curving around the far wall like a huge parabolic mirror was the map tom had been here many times before and always he gasped in wonder when he saw the awesome beauty of the thing stepping into the map room was like stepping into the center of a huge cathedral here was the glowing moving panorama of the solar system spread out before him in a breathtaking three-dimensional image standing here before the map it seemed as if he had suddenly become enormous and omnipotent hanging suspended in the blackness of space and staring down at the solar system from a vantage point a million miles away once dad had told him there had been a great statue in the harbor of old new york which had been a symbol of freedom for strangers coming to that city from across the sea and a welcome for countrymen returning home and some day he knew this view of the solar system would be waiting to greet earthmen making their way home from the distant stars the map was only an image a gift from the united states to the colonists on mars but it reproduced the solar system in the minutest detail that astronomers could possibly make in the center glowing like a thing alive was the sun the hub of the magnificent wheel around it moving constantly in their orbits were the planets bright points of light on the velvet blackness of the screen each orbit was computed and held on the screen by a great computer in the vault below but there was more on the map than the sun and the planets with their satellites tiny green lights marked the earth mars and the earth venus orbit ships moving slowly across the screen beyond mars a myriad of tiny lights projected on the screen the asteroids without the magnifier tom could identify the larger ones ceres on the opposite side of the sun from mars now as it moved in its orbit smaller juno and pallas and vesta for each asteroid which had been identified and its orbit plotted there was a pinpoint of light on the screen for all its beauty the map had a very useful purpose the registry and identification of asteroid claims among the miners of mars each asteroid registered as a claim showed up as a red pinpoint unclaimed asteroids were white 
but even with the advances of modern astronomy only a small percentage of the existing asteroids were on the map for the vast majority had never been plotted tom moved up to the map and activated the magnifier carefully he focused down on the section of the asteroid belt they had visited so recently dozens of pinpoints sprang into view both red and white and beneath each red light the claim number neatly registered tom peered at the section searching until he found the number of roger hunter's last claim it was quite by itself not a part of the asteroid cluster he stepped up the magnification peered at it closely there were a dozen other points all unclaimed within a ten thousand mile radius but near it nothing no hiding place and then suddenly he knew the answer he stared at the map his heart pounding in his throat he cut the magnification scanning a wide area then he widened the lens still further and checked the coordinates at the bottom of the viewer he knew that he was right he had to be right but this was no wild dream this was something that could be proved beyond any question of error across the room he picked up the phone to map control it buzzed interminably then a sleepy voice answered the map tom managed to say it's recorded on time-lapse film isn't it of course it is the sleepy voice said observatory has to have the record one frame every hour i've got to see some of the old film tom said now it's three in the morning i don't need the film itself just project it for me there's a reader here he gave the man the data he wanted mars time the man broke the contact grumbling but moments later one of the film viewers sprang to life the map coordinates showed at the bottom of the screen tom stared at the filmed image the image of a segment of the asteroid belt the day before roger hunter had died it was there when he looked at the map he had seen a single red pinpoint of light roger hunter's asteroid with nothing in the heavens anywhere near it but on the film image taken weeks before there were two points of light one was red with roger hunter's claim number beneath it the other was white so close to the first that even at full magnification it was barely distinguishable but it was there tom's hands were trembling with excitement he nearly dropped the phone receiver as he punched the buttons to ring the apartment greg's face appeared on the screen puffy with sleep what's that thought you were in bed you've got to get down here tom said greg blinked waking up what's the matter where are you in the map room wake up johnny and get down here and try to get a hold of the major you've found something greg said excited now i've found something tom said i've found where dad hit his strike and i know how we can find it we've got the answer greg it had been a wild twelve hours since tom hunter's call to his brother from the map room in sun lake city the major had arrived first still buttoning his shirt and wiping sleep from his eyes johnny and greg came in on his heels they had found tom waiting for them so excited that he could hardly keep his words straight he told them what he had found and they wondered why they had not thought of it from the first moment we knew there had to be an answer tom said some place dad could have used for a hiding place some place nobody would even think to look dad must have realized that he didn't have much time when he saw his chance he took it and it was pure lucky chance tom showed them the section of the map he had examined with the pinpoint of light representing roger hunter's asteroid claim then the map control officer much more alert when he saw major Briarton, brought an armload of films up and loaded them into the projector they stared at the screen and saw the two pinpoints of light where one was now 
"'What's the date of this?' the Major asked sharply. Two days before Dad died,' Tom said. "'There's quite a distance between them, but watch. One frame for every hour. Watch what happens.' He began running the film, the record taken from the map itself, accurate as clockwork. The white dot was moving in toward the red dot at a forty-degree angle. For an instant it looked as though the two were colliding, and then the distance between them began to widen again. Slowly, hour by hour, the white dot was moving away, off the screen altogether. The Major looked up at Tom and slammed his fist on the armchair. "'By the ten moons of Saturn!' he exploded, and then he was on his feet, shouting at the startled map control officer, "'Get me Martinson down here fast!' Call the port on the scrambled line and tell them to stand by with the ship on emergency call, with a crack interceptor pilot ready to go. Then get me the plotted orbits of every eccentric asteroid that's crossed Mars orbit in the last two months, and a double A security on everything. We don't want to let Tawny get any wind of this. Later, while they waited, they went over it to make sure that nothing was missing. No wonder we couldn't spot it, the Major said. We were looking for an asteroid in a standard orbit in the belt. But there wasn't any, Tom said. Dad's rock was isolated, nowhere near any others, and we were so busy thinking of the thousands of rocks in normal orbits between Mars and Jupiter that we forgot that there were a few eccentric ones that just don't travel that way. Like this one, the Major stared at the screen. A long intersecting orbit. It must swing out almost to Jupiter's orbit at one end, and come clear in to intersect Earth's orbit at the other end which means that it cuts right through the asteroid belt and on out again tom grinned dad must have seen it coming he must have thought it was on collision course for a while but he also must have realized that if he could hide something on its surface as it came near it would be carried clear out of the belt altogether in a few days time and if we can follow it up and intercept it the major was on his feet talking rapidly into the telephone sleep was forgotten now nothing mattered but pinpointing a tiny bit of rock speeding through space within an hour the asteroid had been identified its eccentric orbit plotted the coordinates were taped into the computers of the waiting patrol ship as the preparations for launch were made it could not be coincidence somewhere on the surface of that tiny planetoid racing toward the sun they knew they would find roger hunter's secret below them as they watched the jagged surface of the asteroid grew closer it was not round it was far too tiny of a bit of cosmic debris to have sufficient gravity to crush down rocks and round off ragged corners. It was roughly oblong in shape, and one side was a sheer smooth rock surface. The other side was rough, bristling with jutting rock. More than anything else it looked like a ragged mountaintop, broken off at the peak and hurled into space by an all-powerful hand. Slowly the scout ship moved closer, braking with its forward jets. The pilot was expert. Carefully and surely he aligned the ship with the rock in speed and direction. In the acceleration cot, Tom could feel only an occasional gentle tug as the power cut on and off. Then the lieutenant said, I think we can make a landing now, Major. Fine. Take a scooter down first and carry a guy line. They unstrapped and changed into pressure suits. In the airlock, they waited until the lieutenant had touched the scooter down. Then Major Briarton nodded, and they clamped their belts to the guy line. One by one they leapt down toward the rock. From a few miles out in space, the job of searching the surface had not appeared difficult. From the rock itself things looked very different. 
There was no way, from the surface, to scan large areas, and the surface was so rough that they had to take constant care not to damage their boots or rip holes in their suits. There were hundreds of crevices and caves, half concealed by the loose rock that crumbled under their feet as they moved. They spread out from the scooter for an hour of fruitless searching. Tom spent most of the time pulling his boots free of surface cracks and picking his way over heaps of jagged rock. None of them got farther than a hundred yards from the starting place. None of them found anything remarkable. "'We could spend weeks covering it this way,' Greg said when they met the scooter again. "'Why don't I take the scooter and crisscross the whole surface at about fifty feet? If I spot anything, I'll yell.' It seemed like a good idea. Greg strapped himself into the scooter's saddle, straddling the fuel tanks, using the hand jet to guide himself as he lifted lightly off the surface. He disappeared over the horizon of rock, then reappeared as he moved over the surface and back. Tom and Johnny waited with the Major. Twenty minutes later, Greg brought the tiny craft back again. "'It's no good,' he said. "'I've scanned the whole bright side and as close as I dared.' "'No sign of anything?' Johnny said. "'Not a thing.' The dark side looks like a sheer slab, from what my lights show. If we only had some idea what we were looking for. Maybe you weren't close enough, Tom said. Why not drop each of us off to take a quarter of the bright side and work our way in? The others agreed. Tom waited until the Major and Johnny had been posted. Then he hopped on the scooter behind Greg, and dropped off almost at the line of darkness, where the sheer slab began. All of them had hoped that there might be a sign something that Roger Hunter might have left to mark his cache. But if there was one, none of them spotted it. Tom checked with the others by radio in his helmet, and started moving back toward the center of the bright side. An hour later he was only halfway to the center, and he was nearly exhausted. At a dozen different spots he thought that he had found a promising cleft in the rock, a place where something might have been concealed. But the exploration of the clefts proved fruitless, and now his confidence began to fail supposing he had been wrong. They knew the rock had passed very close to Roger Hunter's asteroid. The astronomical records proved that. But suppose Dad had not used it as his hiding place at all. He pulled himself around another jagged rock shelf, staring down at the rough asteroid surface beyond. At the base of the rock shelf something glinted in the sunlight. He leaped down and thrust his hands into a small crevice in the rock. His hand closed on a small metal object. It was a gun. It felt well-balanced, familiar in his hand. The revolver Dad had always carried in his gun case. He had to let them know. He was just snapping the speaker switch when he heard a growl of static in his earphones, and then Greg's voice, high-pitched and excited. Over here! I think we've found something! It took ten minutes of scrambling over the treacherous surface to reach Greg. Tom saw his brother tugging at a huge chunk of granite that was wedged into a crevice in the rock. Tom got there just as the Major and Johnny topped a rise on the other side and hurried down to them. The rock gave way, rolling aside, and Greg reached down into the crevice. Tom leaned over to help him. Between them they lifted out the thing that had been wedged down beneath the boulder. It was a metal cylinder, four feet long and two feet wide, and bluntly tapered at either end. In the sunlight it gleamed like polished silver, but they could see a hairline crack in the metal encircling the center portion. They had found Roger Hunter's Bonanza. In the cabin of the scout ship they broke the cylinder open into two perfect halves. It came apart easily, a shell of paper-thin but remarkably strong metal, protecting the tightly packed contents. 
there was no question what the cylinder was even though there was nothing inside that looked even slightly familiar at first examination there were several hundred very thin discs of metal that fit on the spindle of a small instrument that was packed with them there were spools of film thin as tissue but amazingly strong examined against the light in the cabin the film seemed to carry no image at all but there was another small machine that accepted the loose end of the film and a series of lenses that glowed brightly with no apparent source of power there was a thick block of shiny metal covered on one side with almost invisible scratches a time capsule beyond doubt a confusing treasure at first glance but the idea was perfectly clear a hard shell of metal protecting the records collected inside against what a planetary explosion some sort of cosmic disaster that had blown a planet and its people into the fragments that now filled the asteroid belt at the bottom of the cylinder was a small tube of metal they examined it carefully trying to guess what it was supposed to be at the bottom was a tiny stud when they pressed it the cylinder began to expand and unfold layer upon layer of thin glistening metallic material that spread out into a sheet that stretched halfway across the cabin they stared down at it the metal seemed to have a life of its own glowing and glinting focusing light into pinpoints on its surface it was a map at one side a glowing ball with a fiery corona an unmistakable symbol that any intelligent creature in the universe that was able to perceive it at all would recognize as a star around it in clearly marked orbits ten planets the third planet had a single satellite the fourth two tiny ones the sixth eleven the seventh planet had ten and was encircled by glowing rings but the fifth planet was broken into four parts beyond the tenth planet there was nothing across a vast expanse of the map but at the far side was another star symbol this one a double star with four planetary bodies they stared at the glowing map speechless there could be no mistaking the meaning of the thing that lay before them marked in symbols that could mean only one thing to any intelligence that could recognize stars and planets but in the center of the sheet was another symbol it lay halfway between the two solar systems in the depths of interstellar space it was a tiny picture a silvery sliver of light but it too was unmistakable it could be nothing else but a starship later as they talked they saw that the map had told each of them individually the same thing they had a star drive tom said whatever kind of creatures they were and whatever the disaster that threatened their planet they had a star drive to take them out of their solar system to another star but why leave a record greg wanted to know if nobody was here to use it maybe for the same reason that earthmen bury time capsules with records of their civilization major Briarton said i guess that the records here will tell when they have been studied and deciphered perhaps there was already some sign of intelligent life developing somewhere in the solar system perhaps they hoped that some of their own people would survive but they had a star drive so some of them must have escaped and with the record here we may be able to follow them greg said if we can decipher the record johnny coombs said but we don't have any clue to their language did you have any trouble understanding what the map had to say the major said quietly no i don't think the rest will be much more difficult they were intelligent creatures the record will be understandable all right he started to fold the map back into the tube again maybe roger hunter tried to use the film projector we'll never know but he must have realized that he had discovered the secret of a star drive 
he realized that the united nations were the ones to explore and use it and he gave his life to keep it out of the hands of tawney and his men a pity a cold voice close behind them that he didn't exceed after all they whirled in the hatchway to the after cabin merrill tawney was standing with a smile on his lips and a markheim stunner trained directly on major briarton's chest i realize i'm much earlier than you expected major you did a very neat job of camouflaging your takeoff. we were almost fooled and no doubt the dummy ship you sent off later got full fanfare i suppose there will be a dozen patrol ships converging on this spot in a few hours expecting to surprise a jupiter equilateral ship making a desperate attempt to hijack your little treasure here the little fat man laughed cheerfully unfortunately for you he added we have many friends on mars including a man in the map room and i'm afraid your little trap isn't going to work after all the major's face was gray how did you get here by hitchhiking how else almost uncomfortable back there even with a pile of pressure suits for padding but your pilot was really very skillful johnny coombs turned to the major what does he mean a trap i don't get this the major sighed wearily i had to force his hand even if we found what we were looking for we had no case that would stand up against them we needed proof and i thought that with this as bait we could trap them he's right about the patrol ships but they won't be near for hours and that will be a little bit too late to help tawney said pleasantly the major glared at him maybe so but you've gone too far this time this is an official u.n ship you'll never be able to go back to mars really the fat man said and why not officially i'm on mars right now with plenty of people to swear to the fact he chuckled you seem to forget that little matter of proof major when your patrol ships find a gutted ship and five corpses they may suspect that something more than an accident was involved but what can they prove nothing more than they could prove in the case of roger hunter's accident scout ships have been known to explode before he ran his hand over the metal cylinder and as for this it's really a surprise of course when we failed to find any evidence of mining activity we were certain that roger hunter's bonanza was something more than a vein of ore but this you can be certain that we'll exploit the secret of a star drive to the very fullest how do you think you can get away with it the major said turning up with something that right after a whole series of suspicious accidents in space oh we aren't as impatient as some people we wouldn't be so foolish as to break the news now five years from now maybe ten one of our orbit ships will happen upon a silvery capsule on one of our asteroid claims that's all i wouldn't be surprised if a non-company observer might be on board at that time maybe even a visiting senator from earth for something this big we can afford to be patient there was silence in the little scout ship cabin the end seemed inevitable this was a desperate move on tawney's part he was gambling everything on it he would not take the chance of letting any of them return to mars or anywhere else to testify greg caught tom's eye saw the hopelessness on his brother's face he clenched his fists angrily at his side if it were not for tom dad's bonanza might have gone on circling the sun for centuries maybe forever wedged in its hiding place on the rocky surface of the eccentric asteroid but it had been found earth needed a star drive badly a few more years and the need would be desperate 
and if a group of power-hungry men could control a star drive and hold it for profit they could blackmail an entire planet for centuries and build an empire in space that could never be broken he knew that it must not happen that way dad had died to prevent it now it was up to them greg glanced quickly around the cabin searching for some way out something that might give them a chance his eyes stopped on the control panel and he sucked in his breath his heart pounding a possibility it would require a swift sure move and someone to help someone with fast reflexes it was dangerous they might all be killed but if his training at star jump was good for anything it might work he caught johnny coombs eye winked cautiously a frown creased johnny's forehead he shot a quick look at tawney then lowered his eyelid a fraction of an inch greg could see the muscles of his shoulders tightening greg took quick stock of the cabin again then he took a deep breath and bellowed johnny duck almost by reflex johnny coombs hurled himself to the floor tawney swung the gun around there was an ugly ripping sound as the stunner fired but greg was moving by then in two bounds he was at the control panel he hooked an arm around the shock bar and slammed the drive switch on full there was a roar from below as the engines fired greg felt a jolt of pain as the acceleration jerked his arm tom and the major were slammed back against the bulkhead and then fell in a heap on top of johnny and the lieutenant as the awful force of the acceleration dragged them back across the cabin tawney sprawled on the floor the stunner flew from his hand and crashed against the rear bulkhead on the panel greg could see the acceleration gauge climbing swiftly past four g's up to five to six the ship was moving wildly there was no pilot of course with all the strength he could muster greg tightened his arm on the shock bar lifting his other arm slowly toward the cutoff switch he had spent many hours in the acceleration centrifuge at star jump learning to withstand and handle the enormous forces of acceleration for brief periods but the needle was still climbing and he knew he could not hold on long his fingers touched the control panel he strained inching them up toward the switch his fingers closed on the stud and he pulled the engine roar ceased on the floor behind him tawney moved sluggishly trying to sit up blood was dripping from his nose he was still too stunned to know what had happened greg leaped across the room and caught up the stunner and then sank to the floor panting all right he said as his breath came back that's all your ship may have trouble finding us now but i bet our pilot can get us back to mars when they left the sun lake city infirmary it was almost noon and the red sun was gleaming down overhead walking slowly the hunter twins moved along the surface street toward the u.n building he'll recover without any trouble the doctor assured them he caught the stunner beam in the shoulder and it will be a while before he can use it but johnny coombs will be hard to keep down they had promised johnny to return later they had had checkups themselves both tom's eyes were surrounded by purple splotches and his broken left arm was in a sling greg's arms and legs were so stiff he could hardly move them the major and the lieutenant had been sore but uninjured now the boys walked without talking already a u.n linguist was at work on the record tapes from the metal cylinder and a mathematician was doing a preliminary survey on the math symbols on the metal block i hope there's no trouble reading them greg said there won't be it'll take time but the records are decipherable and dr raymond was certain that the engineering can be figured out earth is going to get her starship all right and we've got work to do you mean the trial i guess the major says that jupiter equilateral is trying to pin the whole thing on tawny now they won't get away with it but it may be nasty just the same 
Well, one thing's sure. There'll be some changes made, with the UN moving out into the belt, Greg said. Somewhere in the distance the twins heard the rumble of engines. They stopped and watched as a great silvery cargo ship lifted up from the spaceport and headed into the dark blue sky. They watched until it disappeared from sight. They were both thinking the same thing. An earthbound ship, powerful and beautiful, but limited now to the sun and nine planets, unable to reach farther out. But some day soon a different kind of ship would rise. End of Gold in the Sky, Part 7 Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah Voiceovers by Kirk.com End of Gold in the Sky of Five Stories by Alan Norse